Let's pray. Heavenly Father, good morning to you. We welcome you here, Lord. Today is a day that you have made, and we will rejoice and be glad in it, Lord. Thank you that you're on the throne, working all things together for good, Lord. I pray this morning that our hearts would be captivated by you, Lord, that our minds would be stayed on you, and you would give us perfect peace in a turbulent world, Lord. I pray that we would be fruitful in our lives here. And now, Lord, may we present ourselves to you as holy living sacrifices, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Can you say hello to a couple people before you sit down? All right, you may be seated. Come on in, everybody. Take a seat. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and take them out and turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6. If you need a Bible, there should be some Bibles underneath the seats for you. And while you're doing that, I would like to uh, just give you a few announcements, some of the things coming up uh, less than a week from today. Uh, So next Saturday is our VBS, and uh, that's just a one-day VBS, and there's still time to sign up for that. If you don't know what VBS is, it's Vacation Bible School. And our men's and women's retreats are coming up in September. You can sign up for that as well. This Wednesday night will be in chapter 15 of the book of Romans. If you want to go ahead and read uh, 15 and 16 to prepare yourself for that. And uh, the rest of the things going on, you can pick up in the bulletin and or online. So we are in the book of Luke. We're finishing the chapter, chapter 6 in the book of Luke this morning. And we're also finishing up a little little mini-series that we've been doing called The Difference Jesus Makes. Something to ponder for us today is the difference that Jesus makes in your life. Does He? Is He? And the significance of those particular things because certainly when one has been touched by Jesus... There's a difference, and the difference is huge. So we've been looking at that, um, especially covering the scriptures from verse 27 of the book of Luke, and uh, we made it through verse 45, and then we're going to cover the section from 46 through 49. And Jesus has been pointing out these these major differences that happen, and this is not a complete list, but... Basically, we looked at how we've been changed by the love of God. So that's the difference that Jesus has made personally in a believer's life. But that difference that the love of God has made in the believer's life is something that extends into the world in other people's lives. And so it is the love of Christ that changes us, and it is the love of Christ That makes a dramatic difference in the world. And so we're told to love our enemies. We're told to treat those well who do not treat us well. We covered that. We looked at the significance of needing 
a supernatural ability to do that. We don't have that ability in and of ourselves. It has to be an agape love, which is a love that does not come from us, but it comes from the Lord. And then last week, we looked at fruit. So the difference that Jesus makes in our life is spiritual fruit. This is something that cannot happen unless we are born again, unless we've been made new in Christ. And so we were given these contrasts in regards to a good tree and a bad tree. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. The need to be changed by Christ internally which happens when we get saved, which then results in the byproduct of spiritual fruit. The spiritual fruit is what is enjoyed and pleasant for us, but also is a gift and a way that we evangelize the world through the actions and behaviors of God working through us in and of the spirit that we have. And so now we come to this last part, and uh, if you're gonna, um, if you want to look at verse 43, so we'll just read 43 through 49, and then we'll look at it a little more closely. So in verse 43, it says, "For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather." Grapes from a brambling bush. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do the things which I say? Whoever comes to me and hears my sayings and does them, I will show you whom he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently against that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on the rock. But he who heard and did nothing is like a man who built a house on the earth without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately fell and the ruin of that house was great. So in Texas, it's interesting because we live in a place where we have the number one foundation problems for houses in the United States. The foundation problems that we have in Texas are due to bad soil. The soil in Texas is clay. And because of that, the moisture from the rain and sometimes snow and ice will cause that clay to expand. And then we get summers like we're having now, that there's a lot of heat, and that causes the clay to shrink. Well, 
when you build a house on soil that does that, you will be prone to having some foundation problems. So it's a good business to be in if you're in the foundation business. Now, some of you may be thinking to yourself, oh no, maybe I have a foundation problem. How do we know? Well, there are symptoms of foundation problems like wall cracks, counter cracks, and being separated from the walls, cabinets as well, mildew smell, cracked siding or warp, warped siding, sinking ground, drainage issues, and sticky doors. So you wouldn't really know if you had a foundation problem unless you started having some of those symptoms. But see, it's like that as believers, as Christians, we may not know and may not realize that we're having foundation issues in our walk with God, but we experience the symptoms. Symptoms similar to a house. Symptoms like we begin to crack when pressure hits. We begin to experience separation from God and other people. We begin to smell. We begin to start to sink. In our faith, we begin to get stuck in our faith. And when those things are happening, it's a good probability that we're having foundation issues. Foundation issues in our walk with God. In our walk with God, the difference that Jesus makes is that a believer should be stable. A believer should have a supernatural peace that directs and guides their life. And that becomes evident, especially when times of trial and difficulty come. That's when we will realize often how solid our foundation is. So I want to give you a few verses to help you understand what is afforded to a believer and what we are called to experience as believers in regards to stability. So Jesus, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 31, he says, Therefore, do not worry. Don't say things like, what are we going to eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what are we going to wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. So he's, he's saying that there's something different, that that's a, a worldly person is one who is subject to the things of the world, circumstances, and conditions. When one is saved, they are saved from dependence upon circumstances, upon the attachments to the things of the world. A believer then is free from those things 
And now that believer is stable and solid because of an unchangeable reality, and that is their relationship with Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says, God has called us to peace. Philippians 4, 6 says that we are to be anxious for nothing. 2 Timothy 1, 7 says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and a sound mind. In Psalm chapter 1, one of my favorite psalms, it talks about the person that is delighting in the Lord and forsaking the things of the world. And it says that that person will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth fruit in its due season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Showing a believer is separated and independent from the things of the world and that life of a believer built on the right foundation of Jesus Christ no matter what happens in the world that that person is always stable and will never lose that peace here's another one that goes along with that Jeremiah 17 7 blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is in the Lord. So the, the teaching of that is that there is a, another place that we can put our trust and our hope, and that's in ourself or in the world. So he's saying, blessed is the man, or blessed are the people who don't do that, who don't look for security or happiness or fulfillment or what have you, in the world, but instead that one is trusting in God and has their hope wrapped up in God. It says, so that person will be like a tree planted by the waters. Does that sound familiar? Psalm 1. So a tree planted by the waters suggests that there will be a constant flow of all that that person needs, not just to survive, but to what? To thrive. Not to barely make it, but to thrive and produce fruit. It says this tree will spread out its roots by the river, an ever-increasing foundation and will not fear when heat comes. But its leaf will be green, always flourishing regardless of circumstances, and will not be anxious in the year of drought. No matter what comes one's way, that person whose hope and trust is in the Lord will always flourish. And it says, and they will not be anxious in the year of drought, nor will they stop 
from yielding fruit. So all those scriptures sound great, right? That's something that we cherish, we long for. That's something that is priceless, it's valuable, is to, to have a life that's independent of circumstances and that is solid and that is experiencing this stability no matter what storm or what problem comes into that person's life. But we all know, and I know many of you are going through some very difficult things right now or going through very difficult things um, from the past or you will be going through very difficult things but we can all relate to this. This is a huge deal. We can't escape. Being a believer in Jesus Christ doesn't allow us to escape the trouble of the world. Jesus himself in John 16:33 said said these things I have spoken to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And we know that the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5.22, um, part of that is, is peace. So how does this all work? And how can you and I just go from, okay, the Bible says that, but how does it actually work? How can I right now have peace through what I'm going through, through what you're dealing with? How can I have peace? Peace. Well, the answer is in the scripture. The answer is in what Jesus is saying. The answer is, is knowing that Jesus makes the difference. And that he has called us to peace and called us to live in a certain way that's different than someone who doesn't have Christ. So that's something to ask ourselves is when life's troubles come our way, is my life the same as if I wasn't a believer or do I go through difficulties just panicky and frantically and fearfully just as if Christ weren't the Lord of my life? Or am I experiencing this overwhelming peace that goes beyond all understanding? And I'm sure none of us are perfect in that regard. And it is okay to have feelings of stress and anxiety because we are humans and we are not robots. But what's different is that God has given us a way to go through those things so we can be different and we can continue to flourish in our walk with God and the purpose that He has for our life. And so let's take a look at just three things from the text that I'd like to point out this morning in regards to how we can have peace. Number one is just to understand what is the cause of the foundational problems. So it all, all goes back to the lack of stability coming from the problem with our foundation. And it, it's, a, it's a little surprising, I think, to a lot of people, me included, 
when you read what Jesus is saying, and you just sort of have this feeling like, is that all? Especially because I think in our culture and in our times that we live in, we like to have more answers and more sophisticated answers. And there are so many of those who offer up solutions to our problems. If we will just do this or go through this program or read this book or do this thing or all of these things, it's just crazy. And, and Jesus just makes it so simple. I actually um, had someone that um, went to our church and moved away that I'm uh, friends with. And they just wrote me a letter, which is, I was kind of surprised because you don't get letters anymore. But I just got a letter and they were just telling me how well they're doing and things are going well. And uh, he told me that he always was a little frustrated at first when we would talk about some of the issues because he wanted more. And I would just, he said, just keep pointing him back to Jesus and the word. And he's saying now he, he realizes and understands what I was doing because he was looking for so many other things and, and he had tried many of those things. They didn't help him at all. And I actually had someone uh, one time tell me from our body that is part of our body now when they started to come out of a lifestyle uh, of sin and addiction and started to get on the right track, that they would get irritated hearing the messages on Sunday and Wednesdays. They just get bothered and agitated. And it was sort of like a, a turnoff for them at first. And they said, and then they realized that it was because they were being sanctified and separated from their selfishness and their self centeredness through the teaching of the Word of God. But I, I find that. I'm comfortable because of the answer that Jesus gives to us in dealing with the instability in our life because he says in verse 46, he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and you don't do the things which I say? So that's his answer. So you may be like some others who are saying, well, I came here this morning for that. That's it? But the thing, I don't know how many things you want someone to give you, but that is the answer. And maybe the reason is you want more things is because you don't like the answer. Because Jesus, in, in dealing with the difference that he makes in a, in a person's life, he says that there, there's a foundational problem in a person's life. And the problem is that they, they will say and acknowledge Jesus as Lord in their life, but their actions are not such where they do the things that the Lord of their life tells them to do. And he's saying that, that that is a huge problem. 
So imagine, for example's sake, imagine we are handing out fitness books. Let's say at the door coming in, fitness slash bodybuilding. So you came in and the greeters gave you these books and you're like, okay, I'm going to start Monday. You start reading the book. Let's say it's called Fitness for Dummies and you start reading it. You start to realize, okay, I, I have to like work out. I have to lift weights. I have to do cardio. I have to eat right. And this book is telling me how often I need to do it and telling me how many sets, how many reps, and all these things. And it's telling me what to eat. And I can't eat all this bad stuff. And my caloric intake is, you know, too high, I need to reduce that, and those calories that I eat need to be more dense and more efficient, and all these things. So, so I, and then I say, hey, this is great, because we're going to have um, a group that gets together, we're going to read, read it, and then we're going to have a meeting, and we're going to talk about it. And you're like, okay, that, that sounds good, and then so we have these meetings, and we have this bodybuilding fitness book and we sit there in these meetings I read this today and it's telling me I need to do this and somebody else is saying yeah I'm struggling with that too uh, but you know this I'm, I'm better at this than than the other thing and then all of a sudden um, we start posting on Facebook certain quotes from the book and we we say man this this, this book is really powerful and it you know if you do this it, you will improve and be more fit and be stronger and and we, we started, you know, actually forming, like, a gym. We bought a building, and we had bylaws, and we had rules that people come into the gym. They have to live and go by these rules when they come in. And, and then somebody, somebody says, well, John, you, you've been doing this for a year. You actually look worse. You're way heavier, and you barely can walk up a flight of stairs without huffing and puffing. And I say, yeah, it's really weird. I don't know, because I'm, I'm going to these meetings. We're talking about it. We're discussing it. I feel like I, I know it pretty well. We have these groups. And, these, and, and then you say, well, in your, your gym, I don't, I don't see anybody actually working out. I see all this equipment, but I, I see a lot of meetings there's a lot of meetings and, and people talking about it. And then, you, you know, you have the juice bar. But, but it seems like these people, they, they just go to McDonald's all the time. And you have all these, uh, you know, um, protein shakes. And, and, but they, they just meet in these groups. And then they go down to McDonald's and, and eat Happy Meals all the time. What's going, what's going on? I don't know. I can't figure it out. And then here comes a new guy who comes in the gym. He says, how come nobody's doing anything? And then everybody's like, what? We're supposed to do something? Well, we're reading about it. We are studying the etymology of all the words, and we got all the routines down, but I, we didn't know we had to do something. But see, this is what Jesus is saying. I mean, we can talk tell 
our tongues swell up in our mouth about the things of the Lord, but until we begin to put shoe leather on the things of the word, we are going to stay unhealthy in our walks with God. And Jesus is saying here, he's saying it's so weird. This is, this is me paraphrasing my interpretation. He didn't say that, but he's pointing out something that's very alarming. This is a warning. And he's pointing out that that there's a, a, a great difference between people studying, learning, acknowledging versus the simple doing of the word of God. And what does that do then to a believer, say uh, to, to a true believer? You can make the case that there are those being talked about that that say, Lord, Lord, but they're not even believers, but they're thinking they're believers just because of a mental acknowledgement. So what would be a, a, a characteristic of a true believer would be someone who actually does, does the things of God. Because wouldn't that make sense if you truly believed in the word of God, if you truly believe it, then you would do it, Right? So when the, the Bible says things and, and you believe it and you say, you're my Lord and you call Jesus Lord, Lord, then it seems so simplistic, but it's a thing. It's being pointed out because even from Jesus' time until now, this is a thing where there is no demonstration and no evidence of the work of God in the heart of a person because there's no action. There's no working out by obedience the things of God. And so this is what Jesus is pointing out. Why do you call me that? So it's, it's one thing to say and talk about the things of God. Why do you do that? And the, the word that he uses, Lord, Lord, that means that we as slaves are calling him our master. So we're, we're, we're saying, when we say Jesus is Lord, we're saying that he is our master. And if he's our master, what does that mean? That means we do what he says. But this really hits to the core of an issue. This hits to really the foundation of the issue that maybe, as we pointed out, there are things in our life that are cracking and sinking and sticking and things like that. And really, now we might start to realize we're, we're just doing our own thing. We're saying certain things, but we're just, when it comes down to it, we're just still doing our own thing. And when we get saved... Jesus, like he told his disciples, he said, follow me. And what would they have to do to follow him? They would have to change their direction because when he called them to follow him, they weren't doing that. So they'd have to turn the direction of their life and they'd have to go that way. So they wouldn't be able to say, okay, I'll follow you. 
but still stay what they're doing. Imagine Matthew, the tax collector, in his tax booth, and Jesus looks at him and says, hey, come follow me. He says, okay, and just sits there in the tax booth, and he keeps extorting money from people, and Jesus said, I thought you were going to follow me, and he says, I am. What are you talking about? Maybe it's a fundamental misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian what it means to be a follower of Jesus, what it means to surrender one's will to God, which when we do that, we're surrendering the authority of our life to God. So before we become a believer, we are our authority, me, myself, and I. That's my authority. I do what I want to do. I don't like people telling me things that I don't want to do. And if I can get away with it, I'm going to do what I want to do. And then Jesus calls us to himself. And in order to come to Jesus, we have to be poor in spirit. In other words, we have to be uh, empty of ourself and our self-will and our self-desires. And now we say, Jesus, you're my authority. What does that mean? That means we take our orders from Jesus. That means, Jesus, tell me what to do. Jesus Show me where to go. So Jesus is pointing out a foundational problem that causes instability in a person's life. And and the reason is because now there's friction and tension in the relationship. There is authority issues in our relationship with him. There is a, a battle between our will and God's will. And God will let us have our will if we insist on it. And when we insist on our will, we may even get the things that we want so badly. But when we do, we will find out that those things will rob us of our peace and rob us of the things of God. So this disobedience, if you will, it causes friction in that relationship, and James actually says that we are to be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving oneself. So that's pretty heavy. He says when we're just having a mental acknowledgement of God with a lack of surrendering of our will, he said we're deceiving ourselves. So it's it's going to be hard to have stability in our life when we're deceived, right? A deceived, deceived person is not a stable person. Who are they being deceived by? The enemy, the devil. He's deceiving them, just like he did Eve in the Garden of Eden, to think that something is better for them than the things of God. This seems so simple, doesn't it? So then this battle of authority, Lord, Lord, but yet we're not relinquishing control of our life to the Lord. So we're saying something, but we're not meaning what we're saying. When the whole foundation of our relationship with Jesus is based on surrendering to his will in our life. So this is a lot to think about. You might say that this is a plague, 
a spiritual plague. You might say that this can be why the church is losing its effectiveness in the world as salt and light. This could be why there is such panic and lack of peace in the body of Christ, which leads to lack of contentment, which leads to a lack of joy. This, this weak foundation is causing all sorts of problems. There are problems, we may say here, that are Lord problems. So we're having Lord problems. Jesus is pointing these Lord problems out. So in verse 47, and he begins to demonstrate and show what this is like. And he talks about the, the effect of a good foundation. And again, a good foundation is simply doing the Word of God. A good foundation is doing what God says. The good foundation, he points out in verse uh, 47. This is, this is amazing. He, he really says three things here, and, and we can sort of look at these, these three things in regards to having a good foundation First thing he says is, whoever comes to him. So that's, that's the beginning. So as believers, we, we come to him constantly. This is one of the most important and amazing things that we have as believers. This is something that, if, if I didn't understand this, I don't think I would have survived the different floods and difficult things that have come my way, and it's the fact that we can call on Him for help. It's just so simple. But what, whatever we're going through, we can ask Him to help us, and He will. So I, I just find myself saying help a lot. Help, Lord. So that's the coming to him. Now, as he points this out, he's, he, he's stressing that he is the sole answer. He's stressing that it's possible to come to him, but also come with trust and hope in a lot of different other things too. And so when we come, if we're truly going to come to Him, we have to come to Him in a way where we don't doubt. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways, James says. We come to Him knowing that He is ready, willing, and able to help. And not only is He ready, willing, and able, that He can help. He can help whatever problem or issue that we have. And this is key to the believer's life. We have to learn that God is an ever-present help in time of need. One who calls him Lord, Lord, but doesn't do what he says, will demonstrate that they have many other lords in their life, 
by going to other things to try to find relief from the pressure that they're feeling instead of coming solely and squarely to Jesus Christ. Do we know he's sufficient? Do we know that he invites us to come? Do you know that not only does he invite us, he commands us to come? And so now a believer has the opportunity and the ability to come to the one who is over all, in all, and through all. And we are invited and commanded to come to him. So this is what we need to be good at if we're going to build our life on a good foundation. Without all these different impurities in the soil, but just come to Christ, him and him alone. And sometimes that's hard to do because now we're being tested in our belief and in our faith. Do we really believe he's sufficient? Do we really believe he's enough? Do we just read stories in the Bible and say, man, that was amazing for them. But do you know why we have these things? To learn that they are for us. So he says, whoever comes to me, it sounds like an open invitation, doesn't it? Whoever, sounds pretty broad. Whoever comes to me, so look what he says next. Number two, who hears my sayings. So this is where the, the work of the Christian occurs. The effort. If you and I believe that as believers, God has a plan for our life, if we believe Ephesians 2.10, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, that he has prepared beforehand that we should walk in those. So just think about that for a second. Think how much pressure that takes off. To know that as a believer, God has this road of good works. That he's laid, he's, it's all laid out. So for your life, it's already laid out. It's not up to you to put the bricks in on the yellow brick road. It's already there. So what's our part in that? Our part is to seek him to discern what his will is. That's our job. So whoever hears these sayings of mine, so we come to him knowing that he has a plan for our life, knowing that he has good works lined up in the, that, that road that he has paved with good works. It, it's already there and it leads to face-to-face -face eternity with Jesus. But while we're here, we, we walk that road and, and so we know and we believe that. So we say, Lord, what does your word say? And Lord, uh, as we get into our devotions, as we come to church on Sunday, Wednesday, as we get into the word, what are your sayings? What are you telling me? What do you want me to know? And then we can actually say, well, what do you want me to know about my situation? I see what you did with David or Paul or Peter or John or whoever we want to put in there. But how does that speak to my situation? And you know what? The Word of God is living and active. So it's not like some old thing we read to get some guidance and information, but 
the Lord takes his word, which is God breathe. As we seek him, he, the Bible says that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. What are we seeking him for? Lord, what's your will for my life? You already got it paved out. Lord, help me understand what your will is. And, and then as we do that, he begins to lead us by his words. That's what it means, who hears his sayings. But then this is the part that Jesus is emphasizing. And then we do it. Then we begin to, as hard as it may seem, as difficult as it appears, we just do it. Why do we do it? It's because it's what his word says. Because his word says it, we do it, and now we know he's in control of our life. He's directing us in good works. This is amazing. You might say, I think I need more than that. You don't. You just need to do God's word. Here's a promise. And it, it might be something that we say, Lord, I, you don't know what I'm facing. And I don't know how I'm going to get through this. And he's telling us how. How do we get through it? I think it was, some of you ladies will know this better than me. I think it was Amy Carmichael or Elizabeth Elliot. If you name those two, you pretty much cover all your quotes for women's ministry. <laughs> Do the next thing. I think it was Elizabeth Elliot. Do the next thing. For, for guys at Spurgeon, it's like Spurgeon or Tozer, you cover a lot of your bases, like 80% of all your quotes. But here's what he's saying. He's taking care of all these things that we're probably stressed about, worried about, freaked about, panicked about. He's taking care of all those things. And our job is to simply seek the Lord, hear from Him, and then just do that. You may say, that that's scary, it doesn't seem right, it's hard, I don't know how I'm going to make it. All those things don't matter. Because remember who's in charge now? Not us. We're not in charge anymore. So that, that's what uh, Paul meant in Romans chapter 12 where he tells us to present ourselves to God as holy living sacrifices. What that means is, is say, give yourself to God and let him work out the details of your life. That's how we can say, oh, okay, all things work together for good for those who love him and call, are called according to his purposes. But see, if we don't do them, now we're not in God's will anymore. Now we're in no man's land. Now we're straying from that path of good works. Now we're straying into cluelessness and darkness and question marks. And so he says, you don't worry about all that stuff. You don't, that's, that's my department. A lot of us may be trying to take over God's department. And he says, that's my department. Your department is to seek me, come to me, seek me, hear what I'm saying to you in the word and just do that. 
well, if I do that, then I bet this is going to happen and this is going to happen and 10 of those things are going to happen and five of those. You're not in control anymore. Those things are not your problem. But here's what happens. When we do God's will, whatever we go through, now we have confidence. We won't have confidence when we do our own thing. We'll have friction and lack of peace. We'll wonder. We'll question. Why did I do this? I shouldn't have done that. Oh, I made a wrong turn here and a bad turn here. And, and, and if we do God's will, we have confidence knowing that we are walking the path that God has set for us, knowing the best that we can as surrendered to the will of God that this is part of his plan now. Then we can say, well, this is part of his plan. How could this be part of his plan? Well, then you start to look in the Bible and you see things that are part of God's plan are so different than what the world tells you. And you start to realize, wow, my life kind of looks a little bit like this person's life. And all those trials that I'm going through, I, I see every biblical figure, well, they have gone through very difficult things. So we start to gain confidence, more and more confidence that it's the Lord's will. But we only have that confidence when we surrender our, our will to God's and we say, Lord, your will be done. And Lord, show me your path. Show me your way. And we get into our word and we read and we look at this and we say, Lord, is this for me? And the Holy Spirit will start to impart these truths to us. And it'll give us that confidence to keep moving forward. So in verse 47, he says, this person who does those three things, I'll show you what he's like. He's like a man building a house that dug deep. So if you want to have a foundation, you want it to be deep, right? Not too superficial. You want it to be deep. And think about this. This is not the shortcut. This is something that takes more persistence. This is something that a person is looking at the bigger picture, right? I'm from California. When I grew up, in my neighborhood, was, it was terraced housing on a, on a hill. There's hills where I live. I know that may be strange for some of people that grew up here, but there are hills. And when it rained a lot and the soil got saturated, People's backyards had mudslides. And it happened every year. And then there are people that they built their house on a cliff near the ocean. And those cliffs have a tendency to erode, but it had an ocean view. Hey, it had an ocean view. Don't blame me. So I'm thinking particularly, I know some people, Dana Point, Capo Beach. So there's a place in Capistrano Beach. There's all these houses. They're just kind of a couple feet over, hanging over. And you're at the beach, and you're just thinking, man, that's any, I'd hate to live in that house. 
any, any moment that thing's going to go down. And they do. They always go down. But see, there's enticements to take shortcuts. There's enticements to find other things instead of doing the hard things, and that's living by faith and surrendering our will to God. But there's no shortcuts to being a Christian. It's just obedience. And that obedience is hard. And that obedience is against our will, oftentimes. And that obedience, as we look it in, in, in the face, it looks scary. But we have to have a good foundation. And so he's pointing out that this foundation is not a superficial one. It's not one that's prone to mudslides and it's going to fall off a cliff because it's appealing. But this is something that's going to last. So it's dug deep and the foundation, it says in verse 48, it's laid on the rock. And then it says, and when the flood arose... And at this point, some of us may be confronted with a false reality of what it means to be a Christian in this world. A flood? I thought my house was built away from a floodplain. No, if you live in the world, you live in a floodplain. Believers are not insulated from the trials and tragedies of this world. We face them. The difference is who we face them with. The difference is how we deal with them. The difference is the stability that we have because of the life that we have built on the unchangeable, immovable, unshakable rock of Jesus Christ. And the doing of the Word of God which brings about that active stability in the believer's life continually. So when the flood arose, we'll have floods. And the stream beat vehemently against the house. So you start to get this feeling, and this is how Satan works when he presents us with the spiritual attacks. He tries to scare us. So the flood's coming and then it's beating on the house. So what would that sound like? It sounds scary. And then the tendency to, at that point, to panic. To abandon ship or abandon house. But see, the confidence is that, yeah, it's beating. You hear, yeah, the water, you can see it in your window. It's like coming over your windows, but you're safe. You're fine because your foundation is not going to move. All those things, things can do is tempt you to do something other than do the word of God. To freak you out, to panic you, to scare you. Those are tactics of the enemy. So now what he tries to get us to do is to respond to scary things in the flesh. And when we do that, now he's got us. Now we're in the flesh. Now we're in his realm. Now we're doing his thing. And I want to tell you, don't panic. Do the next thing the Lord tells you to do. That's how you deal with it. He's not telling me to do it, anything. Don't do anything. 
Remember the children of Israel going out of Egypt? There is a, a cloud. And there is no cloud. They didn't do anything. There's a cloud. Go towards the cloud. Remember who's in control. Remember who is covering you. Remember who has your rear guard. Remember who's your shield. Who's your defense. Don't start to get into the flesh to handle scary, panicky situations. So the the, the stream was beating uh, vehemently, vehemently against that house. And here's my favorite part. It could not shake it. It could just make a lot of loud noises. Why could it not shake it? It tells us. It was founded on the rock. Now don't forget... Sometimes we think it's just this passive thing where Jesus is the rock and we just stand on him. It's not what he's saying. He's saying the rock foundation is doing God's will, is doing God's word, being doers of the word. This is where the foundation is. This is where our strength is. Our strength is in doing the will of God in obedience. And then the bad foundation, verse 49. So what's the effects of a bad foundation? But it was the person that heard and did nothing. So there, here's a potential this morning to have a bad foundation, to hear what we talked about from God's word and forget about it. Go back to handling our difficult situations through all the various means that are available to a human being to get through life on this planet. But Jesus here says, if you hear and don't do anything, you are like a man who built his house on earth. I think that's appropriate. He's talking about instead of something solid, but earth, but it also suggests somebody who's worldly, who's looking to the world for answers, looking to the world for help. A person like that, and they build their house like that, without a foundation against which the stream beat vehemently and immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. He's talking about, I believe, two things, the practical trials of the day. But I think as he gets to the end here, he's moving this discussion ultimately to a person who will face the great judgment to come on every individual without Christ. So he's talking about and moving from a a temporary diagnosis of our current condition through either doing the will of God or not doing the will of God as evidence of what we're truly trusting in. And then he moves that discussion towards the end to say there's going to be an ultimate great flood or great judgment that's going to come to every individual whose life is not built in Christ. Christ the solid rock we stand all other is sinking sand. 
And Jesus finishes the story off to get us to understand that this is, this is not an optional thing and this is not a little thing. He's saying this is a foundational thing. Everything in our life is going to come from this. From being those who come to Jesus, who hear what he says and then begin to do that practically and work that out in life. That is the person who has spiritual stability in their life. That is the person who is immovable, unshakable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. That is the Psalm 1 person, a tree firmly planted by the waters. That is the Jeremiah 17, 7 person. This is an unbeatable person. This is a more than conqueror person. This is a person that God will lead and guide all the way in to his very presence the moment our plan is finished on earth. That's the difference Jesus makes. And I would say from that, Jesus makes all the difference. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. I thank you for my brothers and sisters here and ask by your spirit that you would impart the word to our hearts, that you would build us up in the most holy of faiths. I pray for anybody here this morning, if they are not believers in Jesus Christ, if they have never given themselves to you as you being their Lord and Savior, I pray that they would settle that issue right now, Lord. Because you've made it very clear that they're, they will be overtaken, one, by circumstances, but two, the ultimate judgment that will come to all those who reject you. So if anybody is here, anybody listening, now is the time, now is the opportunity to cry out to Jesus and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me, I'm a sinner. Come into my life, fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me new in you, a new creation in you. Just pray and cry out to him. And for the rest of us, maybe this is a a wake-up call. I know it was for me. Maybe this is a time of introspection I know it was for me maybe this is a a time to just really come to a place of recognizing where I'm really at in my walk to identify any things that have come into my relationship with God that are not of God this is a time to act on the word of God so Lord I pray that you would Move in our hearts like you say in the book of Philippians to will and to do to your good pleasure. I pray, Lord, that we would be your slaves. You would be our master. I pray, Lord, that when we say, Lord, Lord, that we would be saying that in a way where we're asking you to take over our life. We're asking your will to be done. Move in our midst, Lord, by the power of your Holy Spirit that we'll take action on your word in Jesus' name. Let's all stand and we're going to have our prayer team up front.
And if anybody would like prayer for anything, as it's just as we sing this last song, just please come up front and allow them to pray for you. If you've never received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, just come forward and ask them to pray a prayer of salvation. But let's worship the Lord. God bless you guys. May he be with you as you face this week. Let's worship the Lord.